0: Star Trek, The Nerdy Frontier. These are the discussions of the Good Times Society, their continuing mission to explore each episode, to seek out new topics and ridiculous observations, to boldly watch what they've already watched before.
1: Best episode ever These
0: outfits too Oh my god Alright
1: <clears throat> I got one I immediately ordered one For me and my Animal Crossing character
0: <laughs> Well let's talk about that Let's design our outfits As if we were One of the Edo Right? I mean I feel I feel that The only nipple Showing things That a lot of the men wear uh, Doesn't cover from the wind Very much So I at least want Some coverage on my shoulders Right?
1: <laughs> Hold on Do an intro <laughs>
2: <laughs> It's a cold intro There is There'll be an oh, intro I
1: like it Say welcome to the show.
2: <laughs> we have laws around here, Jake. If you don't follow the laws, you're going to get executed. It's execution.
0: So are you willing to kill me because I introed the show in a way you don't like? Is that is that really something that you would go for in your society, Becca?
1: Well, I'm afraid you are standing in a zone of punishment, Ooh. and there's nothing I can do even though I don't agree with it. You should have known.
0: I have written a white line in between my intro and other things, so I guess this is my own fault for not noticing that. <laughs> Welcome to the show, everybody. This is episode seven. We're talking about justice
2: today. Yeah. Uh,
1: justice! Best episode <laughs> in season one! <laughs> okay,
2: we've got some strong opinions right off the gate, huh? I
1: mean... Uh, eat, dough, eat, dope, eat, dough! Most
0: eye-catching episode of... Uh, Season one for sure. I was searching for pictures to put in my notes. And there's a lot of masseuses in a lot of my top image searches. It's too lewd for this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> uh, wh- why do you think it's the best episode, Becca?
1: Oh, okay. Um, so they're all on Molly. No, just kidding. <laughs> but really they are. Um, it's, it's an Eden, hence the name Eden. Edo and the Edo people. It is uh, a society that has found a way to get beyond crime, and uh, and that's through everybody banging all the time it's just very beautiful it's very sensual at the drop of a hat digital, any hat. I would say yeah any any time we're talking cowboy Anything. we're talking page boy we're talking beret we're talking fedora M'lady. maybe not fedora
0: and it is a law that if a hat drops you do have to bone right <laughs> right right so.
1: only if you consent to it
2: right yeah it's interesting that you have uh, strong feelings towards liking this episode because I feel like a lot of it doesn't quite stand up and still feels very original series Star Trek because you can see Roddenberry's sort of fingerprints in all of it. But uh, yeah, the general concept, I guess I could get behind. Uh, But the way it was executed left something to be desired.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, and let me just go ahead and say that my least favorite part of the episode was that uh, they must have killed all the black and brown people for falling into flower patches because there wasn't even a brunette. I wrote, what happened? Are they in anyone uh of darker skin or hair is in a dungeon somewhere and then of course we find out about this punishment zone uh that happens if you fall into flowers
0: it's like a sexy space sweden it seems yeah
1: (laughs) that is what i wrote i was like uh do we need to be concerned or is this just sweden
0: i think i think they try to really generalize when they make alien races for the first couple seasons like they try to keep everybody the same general look
2: Right, and that directly comes from a casting office. You can say, okay, the, the Edo people are blonde and blue-eyed and, and tan, like, type of thing. Like, that's if you just put out that casting, there are so many actors that you can get, you might as well try to make them all look the same, because they're supposed to be, like, a created life form. To me, it just makes everybody look beautifully inbred. Like, yeah. everybody looks the same, but also good. <laughs> right, and also, I forgot about v-neck shorts.
1: <laughs> oh yeah Just as a concept I mean they really had to shave low
2: they, Some of them didn't and I appreciated that <laughs> Yeah there was some real body hair
0: here That definitely yeah. high definition came into effect On this episode right? I, <laughs> I remember this episode pretty vividly From my childhood I don't know about you yeah Especially, Oh, I had
1: no recollection i this is not when I watched with my mom,
2: <laughs> but also just the danger of like breaking the law could get you killed as a kid was something really kind of intense
1: and also sexy something.
2: <laughs> and also kind of sexy.
1: everything about this place is sexy, uh even the stakes now <laughs> I did write uh consent is not something I ever heard of on this planet, but then they have this line where they say oh, when they're talking about Wesley and whether they should do something else rather than quote-unquote play mm-hmm. before going to their meeting. And they're like, oh, well, we don't want to make him uncomfortable. Yeah, our, our rule is... As much as anyone is comfortable with, and so you know, it was it was the version of consent that was around at that time.
0: Yeah, it kind of reminded me of like high school theater where everybody kind of hugged or didn't when you first met them,
1: <laughs> and you kind of had I to get used to that. always hugging
0: every single time you saw somebody, even if you saw them last period. Right? Like, oh, hey! And then you give me a hug again.
1: Jake, have you met me?
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> you were a theater kid, right?
1: I was a theater yeah. kid, and um we would have underwear dance parties. That's a side yeah. note, but it did remind me of Edo quite a bit. Right. Standard knows.
2: Yeah, oh yeah, that's like a staple is underwear dance parties. And yeah, like yeah a- absolutely. Any sort of after party um. at Denny's. <laughs>
1: Now, before we get into the drama of the episode, there's so much more to appreciate, like Riker's reactions on the ship before going down. Listen, my he very was all about it.
2: My very first note was Riker is horny on main. Like he did not cover this up whatsoever, and he's like, "We're gonna bone all these aliens. I'm first in line. Here we go." <laughs>
1: Yeah, the first officer, you seem very interested in beaming down. Is this so? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. yeah I feel like yeah, that yeah, was
0: a dual yeah. purpose of Riker's need to be the leader of the away team and to shut down Picard. He's like, I'm actually going to be the guy, the point person for meeting all of the. Uh, Ladies on the away mission, <laughs> Right? This was a very,
2: like, Riker-featured episode because you had the parallel between, yeah, with Riker, uh, you know, be- being that ladies' man and suave sort of guy of the time, like, who was seen as sort of, like, the heartthrob of the show versus this militaristic, like, hard-nosed number one, you know?
0: Yeah. So, uh, in the episode, the Enterprise, uh, off-camera, has actually... Uh, colonized a planet in a star system and they've also found another set of life forms in a nearby planet in that same system and they find this uh these life forms on a class m planet which becca
2: do you know what a class m planet is
1: tell me more about class m (laughs) yeah
2: so class m is essentially there's this ranking system of planets because you can kind of oh
1: i got it it's because it's mm -mm -mm.
2: inhabitable (laughs) oh (laughs) <laughs> so a class M is sort of most Earth-like, where there's an abundance of resources and the atmosphere is uh, conducive for uh, humanoid life forms. Yeah. It's to frolic
1: first... and jog everywhere. God. Right. right.
0: <laughs> yeah. If if, a, if they find an M-class planet, they definitely bookmark it for future colonization or uh, habitation. Right.
1: And they did describe this later in the episode. Picard is explaining, I think, to the godlike satellite you know, our people, we just want to make sure we spread our seed all around yeah. in case one planet gets blown up. We need to have other colonies to, to Prolong humanity's existence.
2: Yeah. So, well, True. this is actually an interesting point that you bring up because uh, where we were talking about how all of the Edo kind of look the same, they needed to find what was like humanity's shtick, what was their thing as an alien that other races would find, and they've they've sort of narrowed it down to humans spread. Their good their uh, good qualities include their adaptability and their ability to go out and and colonize or spread or terraform or meat, or whatever, other races, and that's their thing.
1: So surprising that there weren't any more varietals of humans on Edo. (laughs) Yeah. Well, they're not human. all their seeds. (laughs) Well, you know, humans that had come there. Like, for example, her interest in Worf right. showed uh, of the Edo, the Edo representative. Didn't uh, she say, was literally it, I welcome
0: this huge one?
2: Yeah.
1: Yes, she did. But this is also... <laughs> as she pressed up against him.
2: It's sort of the first time that we've... Because you, you have to remember, at this time, Klingons were still seen as the enemy from the original series. And so they're really sort of rebranding this Klingon in Worf. Uh, and this was the first time that this Klingon was seen with some sort of like sex appeal. Because what an alien weird thing. But they're introducing this concept of like, oh, aliens might be attracted to other aliens or finding whatever it is beneath the surface. Uh, So that in itself is beautiful, but... It, it,
0: it the problems. Star Trek was known for kind of breaking that mold, though, right? Because yeah. the first interracial kiss, and then also, I mean, right. Kirk was always uh, making out with plenty of blue-skinned people, right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: And Michael Jordan already broke that, by right? Being being such a bay, even with those teeth and <laughs> that mullet yeah. and the forehead still there
2: <laughs> and we see uh, this is sort of uh, us attributing to it but we sort of see instances of both Tasha Yar and Riker interacting with both male and female Edo or p- female and female presenting Edo uh, and that is sort of like this nod to maybe presumed bisexuality or something else that's going on under the surface which you know grasping at straws but we'll take what we can get
1: Yeah, they could have used a little more of everybody hugging everybody at the beginning if this is really a free love society. I mean, why are we being so gendered about it? Uh, it, And and talking about uh, Klingon and Worf, it led to one of my favorite lines (laughs) of the episode from Riker, which was... If you weren't Klingon, I'd think you were bragging. Oh, maybe he doesn't say Klingon. Something but <laughs> like that, yeah, yeah. If, if you were another man, I'd think you were bragging. When he says, uh, these these human women are em. too fragile yeah. to, to have sexual relations with me, I would break them.
2: <laughs> and to a point he's not wrong, but <laughs> there are definitely some human women that can handle him.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, when oh, okay. Worf was Can't greeted,
2: wait. he even said... Nice planet. Nice planet.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a nice planet.
0: Um, h- how must Wesley Crusher feel being on this planet? Because he sure, uh, he sure led with his ignorance a lot. He was like, "I'm definitely not ready for any of this," despite all of his friends really wanting him to be ready for it.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think this was an instance of Wesley as the character kind of getting put into a situation and used as a scapegoat to sort of ex- explore this concept of like if you break a trivial law, how far should the consequences go to maintain the status quo of peace? And they needed a scapegoat. It could have been like a security officer or or someone else that was lower ranking, but they're like, why not use Wesley?
1: Yeah, and who already must have felt extremely uncomfortable. I mean, just imagine any time you're watching, you know, old people do it in a movie. I'm sorry. I don't mean to be ageist. I just get uncomfortable. I just think, you know, I I didn't know that was happening. There's, oh, wow. You know, it's like, no kid wants to know that their parents are doing it. Right. And poor Wesley. Every parental figure he has aboard this ship are all talking about how much they want to hump these Eidos. I
0: was wondering about like if he's uncomfortable or if he's super curious because he's at that age right and like he's Mm -hmm. on a planet it's almost as if his parents took him to a swinging party and said go hang out with the swingers other kids.
1: Right. Right. (laughs) And the kids like let's play
0: ball and then just stare at him.
1: Oh, but the moment when she asked him to play a ball and she's like, hey, I wonder if you could teach me something. And he's like, there's some things I haven't learned yet. And
0: then he tells them about a bat and they look at him like he's insane.
1: The most phallic of all objects?
0: Yeah, Yeah, he
2: really described it in terms length and girth. No, it's true. And uh, like when you th- sit down and think about it, how to explain these concepts to someone who potentially is completely alien. Um, I think this was kind of mishandled a little bit because on one hand, it could be a healthy thing of exposing kids to just a, a normal, healthy amount of intimacy and touch and not making it a taboo thing. But on the other hand, it was totally bungled. And they're trying to give Wesley these sort of like teenagery moments of like, whether it's with alcohol or with... Things that are traditionally dealt with in these like daytime or or primetime dramas, Uh, and so it it leads to a lot of these interesting sort of interactions. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I'm not a fan of this episode too much, but I can see where they're trying.
1: (laughs) Not a fan. I I can understand how you're. I think you're thinking too much about it. Yeah. Uh, just look at the outfits and look at the yeah. jogging and leave it at that. <laughs> the jogging! Oh, the I jogging. was like, I
0: don't remember them running and they full on do a good coordinated military style run around the Huntington
2: Library.
0: Oh,
1: but what if they can't run? Oh, we can run. Yeah, 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 yeah.
2: Uh, oh, boy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, that set was amazing too. Uh, that was uh in Huntington Library in Pasadena where a lot of that was done there was also there was a location that I think the building itself is used as Starfleet Academy in a lot of other places as well yeah it's a
2: water treatment plant or something along yes. the lines it's around yes. here it's in like Van Nuys I think
0: oh is it I haven't I'll, or something along those lines are like, there one corner yeah lifted.
1: add it to your Star Trek tour of Hollywood that, that as well
2: water. as yeah yeah a Water it. Reclamation Plant in North Los That's, Angeles. that's what it is. You can also do the Vasquez Rocks, which was featured very much in the original series as, like, the planet. And the, I think they do a few, maybe, in Next Gen. But Let's go f-
0: recreate uh, Wesley's fall into the flower
2: bed. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we'd, we'd probably get arrested in actuality. <laughs> I, oh, no. <laughs> and the cops it, carry
0: around syringes. <laughs> that doesn't feel super safe.
2: No.
1: Oh, they're mediators. No, this is very The giver Yes. Yeah. you know? It's like if you're not perfect enough, well, oh, you must be in a punishment zone. So they... Uh, this is uh, the and, bad and then place. it's Tasha Yar and Worf that that discover through their conversation, which maybe they're having a little too much of mm. Anita, you know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> but they find out that the one flaw with this perfect utopia is that if you happen to go into across a white line during a time when that zone is a zone of punishment, then you die. Uh, yeah. It doesn't matter what you did. Yeah. So it's very you know nebulous what counts as a crime and uh you know where do they have these laws written down i kind of
0: suspect entrapment a little bit like don't you feel the mediators were there already like kind of waiting for the new guy to fuck up
1: oh totally (laughs) wait wait becca just watching that flower bed if you
2: were to give an example of some sort of small crime that would have minimal consequences what would it be like maybe uh, going on the grass when it says keep off the grass
1: <laughs> yeah, Yars first instinct after after the rape gang she grew up yeah. with. Her first instinct is a, a small crime like <laughs> keep off the grass violations.
2: How weirdly specific. but well, yes, that uh, would call for the death penalty.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you couldn't do shoplifting or accidentally taking something. Nope. Just nope. really it's, spelling
2: it out for the audience. <laughs>
1: trespassing upon a flower. Okay, mm-hmm. well, the first crime we could think of. The First thing on top of my head yeah. at any point in time. It's just right
2: off the dome. Yeah. So, now yeah.
1: teenage Becca heard that and she said, no, but my prime directive as a teenager was to always do the thing that a sign said not to do.
2: Mm, you have been oh. executed on Ida and that's oh, yeah. that.
1: Instantly, you never would have made it. made it to the yeah. prime age.
2: Why was that your instinct,
0: Becca?
1: I don't know and you know what's inter- interesting this is very tangential but mm-hmm. uh, David studied psychology and one of the psychology examples they set up was they put a uh, a rope like you know a museum curating mm-hmm. stay, stay behind this velvet rope thing on a sidewalk mm-hmm. and they watched to see who would step over it and who would go around it and who would just like turn the other way and go a long way around mm-hmm. and uh, and they took notes on who did what and a very very small percentage of people will actually violate a blockade like that. And I think I'm just one of that rare percentage that I just have to do what you're not supposed (laughs) to do. I I think you would move the blockade
0: to another part of the street. Yeah, (laughs)
1: Absolutely I would. Oh god, teenage Becca just had no control. (laughs) Adult Becca has the instinct Mm. and then doesn't do it.
2: Uh-huh. Well, I think that's very appropriate for for the Edo because when we're examining it, it seems like they're missing a part of their personality because they've sort of... Uh, if you could take a theory of evolution in that, the, the ones that have that innate instincts were the ones that were killed. What are you left when you have a society of people that will never break the rules?
1: It's so funny. I wrote, ah, I see the problem now. A society of rule followers. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> well, that's what's interesting about the ending,
0: too. It just kind of comes down to... Uh, rules need to have exceptions. And then Space God agrees, and we all go our separate ways. Like, that felt kind of anticlimactic and Wow, Wait way
1: to minimalize it. Yeah. No, it was epic and beautiful. I loved it. They were like, uh-oh, we can't transport. Right. And then it was this long speech about there can be no justice so long as laws are absolute. Life itself is an exercise in exceptions. There it is. And I wrote it down to tattoo it on my forehead. Yeah, oh,
2: Picard has a bunch of quotes that you're going to want to get on your forehead, so clear some room. <laughs> I want to challenge,
0: okay. hold on though, but like, that was a ver- that was the entirety of the speech. There was no other meat to it besides that though.
2: I will say though I I loved Gates McFadden as Crusher with the motherly instincts in acting. I thought she really really brought something to a role that could have been minimized, but she she followed like protocol up until a point and then broke protocol and I think it was beautifully performed.
1: Okay. I actually got w- welled up with tears in that moment oh, when wow. Wesley goes over to her. Me too. And wrote, Gates McFadden make me teary. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I have a question about the prime directive here notes. because yeah. how did they make contact with these people in the first place? Are they they're not spacefarers? Are they?
2: Uh, oh I've no,
1: no, they were they were groundbound, It
2: seemed <laughs> to me. <laughs> I like that phrase
1: because otherwise they would have known about their quote unquote god right, that was floating right. up there.
2: Oh, it was that Riker went down to to explore because they had just come from doing the colonization, right? So they were just sort of, they had um, they bumped into them. They bumped into take a piss because they looked for any M-class planets, and then uh, I think they made contact and they were able to communicate, and that was what led them to believe that they could communicate. Uh, It's a little fuzzy because it's one of these early episodes that didn't really follow the rules.
1: Captain, uh, I think I need to beam down to this planet. Yeah. It seems like there's some ladies DTF.
2: <laughs> yep, 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 that's what it was. <laughs>
1: uh, oh, Just going back, I wanted to say one more thing about the idea of rules followers in a society. Mm-hmm. Uh, it kind of makes sense why they're a little stunted in their technological progression. Because right. if you think back to every time advancement has been made, it's been rule breakers in terms of what is possible to be believed. Like, you know, Einstein and everyone who we regard yeah. as genius. Uh, has been outside of the norm, has been breaking what we had previously established as something infallible.
2: Right, right. No, And th- and I think this is a great example of uh, sort of this three-layered effect that we get in a few of the Next Gen episodes, but a lot of the original series episodes of you've got the planet-bound species that's at one level, then you have the Enterprise, which is at another level, and then you have this overarching god-like uh, species that's evolved past where humanity is now. So you've got these three lenses that you got to look through everything, because yeah. <laughs> Depending on where you're looking, it either looks like magic or barbarism. You know what I mean?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah, so I think this is a great example of that. Of you know, these godlike aliens also have their prime directive, and they they discuss that. Like maybe they're further along than we are, and it seems like the Enterprise taught them a lesson at the end and let them beam out. But it, I I interpreted it as they were teaching the Enterprise a lesson, and in sort of follow the prime directive, but only. Only to a certain extent, because you need to keep the spirit of the law and not the letter of the law, which is the point of the episode.
1: Absolutely. And I love when the Edo woman uh, lays that out mm. in such explicit terms that sort of makes fun of them. Oh, well, you may be smarter than us, but this has been working real good for us. Yeah, Look how <laughs> naked and hot we are and bronzed. <laughs>
2: Yeah, Look and how coming hot, our muscles are at all times exactly. Mm-hmm. And coming from what you were saying, Becca too, of like what what if you wanted to create the the example of a species that didn't have these uh, outliers of rule breakers? Would they still advance in the same technological way? This is this might be what the godlike aliens were trying to find out or prove.
1: Boom. Nope.
2: Oh, or not. <laughs> <laughs>
1: They're not gonna. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, no, just kidding. Yeah. It's different. But it it's feels different. like the... I don't want to be the problem is all. The right.
0: the Enterprise violated the Prime Directive and also upheld it at different points of this episode, right? Yes. Like, they stopped Wesley from getting killed, but they let him get captured. That was a little surprising. <laughs> yeah. And then they just flat out said, we're taking him. Sorry. Uh... And if only Space God hadn't stopped them, they would have.
1: And that leads to another theme that I saw in the episode, which is the classic trolley dilemma. There it is. Because it was said pretty explicitly in the scene where Captain Picard calls in Data to the conference room. And I believe he says the phrase, if I didn't miss here, let's have some more talk. (laughs) 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 And then Data sits down. And he says, would you choose one life over 1,000, sir? And Which is exactly the trolley dilemma. Yep. And Picard's response is, I refuse to let arithmetic decide questions like that.
2: So I, cool. I love that you brought this up because it's very important. Uh, in original Trek, we saw a lot of these philosophical discussions happening between Captain Kirk and Spock, his, his number one. Uh, and sort of the debate was Kirk's humanity and impulsiveness versus <laughs> Spock's sort of cold lips logic. And we have the same parallel with Picard and Data. And we haven't seen that sort of relationship being built quite yet because Picard has always treated Data like a tool or another uh, piece of the computer. But here we get to see Picard realizing, oh, there's something to his babbling. There's something that he can offer here um, that, that... is an interesting perspective. And I think this scene was the beginnings of that seed, which becomes a very, very uh, important and influential relationship throughout the whole series. The needs of the many? Outweigh the needs of the few. It's exactly it.
1: And also setting up that relationship of, Data, you see things differently. Yeah. Help me out here.
2: And not only that, Picard gave a different answer than we had seen from Kirk or Spock of do you sacrifice yourself for the good of many? And and Picard says flat out, we can't justify things that way. We can't yeah. boil it down to arithmetic. I don't accept the premise.
1: Oh, uh, another thing we haven't talked much about, babbling? Babbling. A babbler? <laughs> Data, Data's a babbler? He is a
2: babbler. He's a babbler. babble
1: honor? Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, I am not a babbler, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I, I might be a babbler. <laughs>
0: I like that he came to that realization because he is right. He he overexplains things. I actually, was I have friends like this? <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: uh, it's concerning.
1: Hey, you don't have hey to sister, subtweet me like you. that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but it also shows Data's ability to grow and evolve in his sentience
2: I think that's the main thing that they were going with because they had this shtick of Data just rambling off information And that was his whole thing and this was them breaking that trope within the script itself and going Oh Data is making progress even though these could seem like Monster of the Week episodes. Uh, when this when um,
0: Picard brings up I forget the Ido's name he brings up does she have a name uh, to the the woman that I he didn't
1: br- write one down I'm not sure I call curly hair lady Edo, leader call
0: her um, this is one of the few, uh, one of the many instances, actually, that like uh, the Starfleet shows a alien their planet from space kind of thing. And mm-hmm. I noticed that this is one of the m- more glaring times when the carpet was painfully visible. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I was like, "Ooh, that carpet's a little dirty. It needs uh, to be yep. vacuumed before they bring on alien species."
1: <laughs> <laughs> How embarrassing! To <laughs> think that they could like. This uh, tel- tel- transport out all the dirt from the carpet. Like transport's gotta in. have a lot of cool.
0: The Enterprise <laughs> is so comfy. It just feels like a
2: 90s den most of the time. Like
1: or I really like wanna
0: have my fall there, you know? Yeah, like the oh interior
2: of a 1990s Saturn or something. It's all that cream leather <laughs> and carpet.
1: Oh gosh, I gotta decorate a rec room this way at some point in time. Yeah. Complete with panels on the walls and everything. <laughs> Communication panels.
0: So that was uh, that was justice. Uh, I feel like you guys really both loved this episode, Becca, mostly, more?
1: I definitely did. Xander said he explicitly did not.
2: It's not that I don't like it. Uh, I don't like the overt heterosexuality and the assumption uh, in that. And that is a little uh, uh, off-putting to me. Uh, and then, yeah, sort of the things that we had mentioned. But the core concept I like. Uh, and so I, I get what they were doing. I would have gone about it a different way.
1: Gotcha. Yeah, I second you on the two hetero. I sort of extrapolated in my mind. Right. Like, well, maybe just these couple were meeting. Yeah, and are, this is
2: uh, a problem that we'll run into, and I might have brought it up before, but we we mentioned that they, there's a tendency to lump alien species into one trait, uh, and it's frustrating when you're visiting a whole planet when you think about, like, the diversity that's on Earth. But in this, it's just that a, a being created another being. It's a small patch. I get it. I can, I can let it go.
1: <laughs> and that one trait is horn. Yeah, yeah.
2: (laughs) And just running around outside playing games. Oh, he's gotta
0: run. (laughs) Uh, Well, our next episode is The Battle, because when Mm -hmm. a group of Ferengi present Captain Picard with the derelict remains of his old starship, he begins to lose himself in the past. The drama.
1: (gasps) The Battle. Oh, man. Well, we gotta sprint on over to that episode, because if we don't, then we won't be
2: Engaged! Engaged. Yeah.
0: yeah, that was a long walk, <laughs> but I'll take it.
1: <laughs> no, it was a quick sprint. <laughs>